The text for the message this afternoon is Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no, longer, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, human pride is a sign of spiritual immaturity. A child tells his parents, I can do it myself. Or a teenager interrupts the person explaining something to, to her saying, I know that already. Or adults who forget their need for Christ assume they can overcome personal struggles in their own strength. Get rid of that empty feeling inside by maybe buying more things or doing more things or gaining more respect from others. Faced with our mortality and confronted with our shortcomings, everyone in the world is, is seeking some kind of salvation from the restless cravings of their hearts. Yet, like immature children, most people in the world are convinced that salvation can be found in personal strength and self-sufficiency. When Paul talks about being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, that's in verse 3, He's referring to that endless pursuit of salvation from God's condemnation that causes unrest in the sinner's heart as long as we try to find it in our own capabilities. And we ask the question, what can fill that gaping hole in our hearts? Well, the advertisements that are flooding our lives, especially nowadays, they're quick to point out that you're missing something. And that you will only find rest if you avoid the sin of being out of fashion, owning the newest products. But seeking satisfaction and always having the newest thing is like chasing a disappearing horizon. The envious never re receive the reward of satisfaction. Many religions and so-called Christian sects urge you to turn from your material possessions and pursue gaining favor with a higher being. Sometimes people who know about God, the Creator, remove His holy law from the place He gave it and they turn it into a ladder that we must climb in order to reach God. And such false teaching urges you to earn the right to receive the Spirit and be called children of God. The exact thing 
that Paul is writing against in Galatians 3, verses 1 to 6. And they do this while forgetting that the whole purpose of God's law is to teach us to live in fellowship with Him and to trust His mighty work in our lives in humble dependence. And sadly, there is no rest for fallen sinners when they govern their lives with the rules, the expectations of, of other people, or they try to have more so-called good works in their lives than evil works. Galatians refers to these vain pursuits as a type of slavery that reveals a lack of understanding of all that God has already obtained for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Trying to earn favor with God through obedience to the law after Christ's birth is behaving like a prisoner who has been set free, still sitting in a cell with the door open and no chains on their hands, continuing to do more time. Or like the lord of an estate who continues to act like a slave instead of taking hold of his inheritance and responsibility and freedom and rights. The gospel message is, that in Christ we are already free from the obligation to obey the law in order to be saved because he came down to earth and obeyed in our place. Now that faith has come, we saw in Galatians 3 verses 25 to 26, the display text, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, everyone in the church is a child of God through faith. And I preach to you this gospel under the following theme. Christ's birth ushers in the coming of age of God's adopted children. We'll see that God sent his redeeming son into the world. And God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Verses 4 to 5 and 6 to 7. If you look at Galatians 4, you'll see that the first three verses, Paul is talking about a major change in the status and the position of the church in her relation to God. The illustration that Paul uses pictures a family setting in which the son and the heir of the father's fortune is at first considered too immature, too underage to receive the responsibility that will be his one day. And as he grows up as a child, he is told what to do, just like the other servants in the house. For he must learn and grow before he can tell others what to do. Paul compares the church to that underage future lord of the estate. For in the Old Testament, God's people were being trained in the, in the way of righteousness by hearing the law, being carefully guided in keeping the law by the priests and kings and prophets whom God appointed as the guardians and stewards of the church. God was working through that one nation, the Jews, which he placed under the law so that through the guardianship and the supervision of these laws, they might learn about God's redemptive plan, 
the work that was needed to obtain salvation from their sins, that they might know what kind of Messiah and mediator they needed and then show this to the world. This time of growing and learning about the kingdom through the guardianship of the law as they waited for their Savior to come is compared to the stage in a person's life when he is a child being prepared for adulthood. Now it's very clear that Paul is not calling the holy fathers and mothers of the church immature in their faith. How could anyone say that of a person like Abraham mentioned in the chapter before? But he is simply highlighting that in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in a very visible, concrete way with visible buildings and sacrifices and external laws in the way of promise to clearly illustrate and point to the promised Messiah who is coming, the Holy Spirit who would be poured out into their hearts. We could say that Paul uses this illustration to describe the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the way that God dwelt among his church. And so it's not surprising that the turning point is identified as the moment the Son of God took on human flesh, his incarnation. Galatians 4 verse 4 highlights that moment, that special intervention of God into the unfolding history of the church that changed everything for the church in a very dramatic way. In the same way that a father might determine a specific date when the promised inheritance moves out of the hands of trustees and into the hands of his children, like when a, when a young man turns or a young woman turns 21. Or the same way when a child comes of age and must be treated as an adult after that. You can think of the Jewish celebration of Bar Mitzvah, the age of 13. So also God set and appointed a time when the church's relationship to him would change. When the fullness of time had come. No one could doubt that it was impossible for even the holiest person to keep God's law perfectly. And God's people understood how much they needed, the, to, they, they needed the Savior to be born in the world. When the fullness of time had come, the Romans had established a time of peace in the world that was ready for the gospel message to go out down well-built roads from Jerusalem to the many synagogues and many different cities in the world to the Gentiles around, using a common language. Even the fact that the Lord appointed Jesus' birth at the time of a census that brought his parents from Nazareth of Galilee to, to the town of Bethlehem in exact fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah displays the precision of God's plan of salvation when the time had fully come. God had ensured that the stage had been set for the coming of age of his church and then he sent his son into the world. Being equal to God, the son of God emptied himself to be born of woman, born under the law. And like every mother giving birth since the fall into sin, so also Jesus' mother Mary experienced labor pains and needed to make purification for the impurity of birth. 
Jesus knows what it's like to be a child of human parents, for he shared in our flesh and blood, was tempted as we are, and assumed a true human nature with all its infirmities. Jesus was like every other faithful Israelite, entering the world under the demand of the law and submitting himself to God's command to love him and to love his neighbor. And since Jesus was a Jew without sin, we could say that all that was written in the law of the Old Testament was kind of like a pamphlet that describes Jesus Christ. Jesus was the law of God perfectly embodied. Jesus loved God and his neighbor truly and from the heart. And his obedience was so perfect that it's easier to point to Christ to explain the law than it is to point to the commandments written in the Old Testament. Our text tells us that Jesus was born under the law so that he might redeem those under the law. Jesus' perfect innocence meant that when he entered our room to be born under the law, just like, like all creatures, he was able to bear our condemnation, taking our chains off our own wrist and placing them on himself. The Son of God stood where we were under God's wrath against sin in the likeness of sinful flesh so that God might redirect the curse that we deserved upon the shoulders of his Son. Romans says, and so he condemned sin in the flesh of his Son. The gospel message is that now the law of God no longer has power to condemn those who believe in Jesus Christ, nor is it needed to to train us to see how much we need Christ. Now we can look directly at Christ Jesus, and we can see in him the holiness of God's law and the beauty of the fellowship with God that the law promises. We can look directly at Jesus before we even see the law. And we can see the extent of punishment that sin against the law deserves. We no longer need the the law as a guardian or supervisor to teach us how much we need Christ. For when we look at Christ, we see the Father. We see perfect love. We see how much he loves us as his own adopted children by grace alone and not because of anything that we have done or can do. No one who comes to Christ, no one who stares and worships this Christ can come with pride in their hearts. And that means everyone who comes to Christ, is lifted out of their spiritual immaturity and and slavery to their own egos. And they're equipped to be free and mature children as God has called them to be. Christ frees us, even from faith in our own self-sufficiency and all immature human pride. And although on a large scale we see that our text is showing us how Christ's birth changes the place of the law in God's redemptive plan for his church throughout all the ages, it's striking that at the same time, Paul uses the words 
we. It's in verse 3. And he includes himself. And he includes the mostly Gentile church that he was writing to. As also being like underage children at some point in their lives. Our text is not just about the history of redemption. But it also describes the repeated process of of coming to Christ. That is common to all whom the Lord calls to himself. That coming into the presence of God that is common to every sinner. As we understand who we are and who our Lord is. It's like everyone who comes to Christ comes of age. The same transition from immaturity to maturity. From obeying God because of orders to obeying God because we want to. From being under the condemning law to being under the redeeming Son. From slavery to elemental principles of the world and belief in ourselves to freedom founded in the grace of God. Yes, that same transition from pride to humility can be seen in the life of everyone who comes to recognize the grace of God to them in the incarnation, in the coming into flesh of the Son of God. And that's why in this context, Paul asks the church where they are right now. Are you, verse 2, are you still trying to gain favor with God and uh, receive the Spirit through the things you do? That's chapter 3, verse 2. Are you, are you still trying to make it please God and earn His favor and, and beating yourself up when you fail to do everything just so? Or are you trusting in God's gracious work as you hear with faith the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you still live enslaved to vain pursuit of doing it in your own strength, thinking, I got this, I can do this, as if you were still imprisoned to the elemental principles guiding both the pagans and the legalistic Judaizers? Or do you believe in the significance of the birth of God's Son who redeemed us from the law so that we might receive adoption as sons? All those who are redeemed under the law no longer try to earn the favor of a heavenly Father by their works as if they were servants or slaves in the house. But they receive, they receive the adoption as sons of God. When the Lord opens your heart to receive His gifts in faith, then as Paul declares in Galatians 4 verse 7, You, and here he uses the singular personal, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you receive Christ's work for for you in faith, then you, my friend, my brother, my sister, are no longer a slave who needs to earn anything but a child who has everything already guaranteed for you. The only way that we can truly see our freedom and our special status as God's children is when God opens our eyes up to see our dependence on His fatherly love. For when we are humble, then we are mature. When we rely on God alone, 
then we will truly be redeemed from the law and made free. And we thank the Lord for working these gifts in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we see in the second point, it's very striking that the word of sending God sending His Son into the world. In verse 4, the word for sending forth is the same that is used of God sending the Spirit in verse 6. You see, when the Son of God was born into the world, He changed the status of everyone who believes in Him, changing it from being a, like a slave to children by adoption. And when He makes this change, He doesn't transfer us into a life of immaturity and pride, but into freedom and to maturity. For He immediately imparts His own Spirit into the hearts of everyone who believes. As Christ calls people out of the world to follow Him as heirs of eternal life, not only does our relationship and legal status before God change, but we ourselves are, are changed, converted. We are conformed to be the image of His Son, Romans 8, so that we begin to behave like the heir of all things, as the Son of God is called in Hebrews 1 verse 2. Having coming of age to receive all the rights of sons and, and daughters, heirs obtained for us by Christ. Our lives look a lot different than the lives of the servants in the house. And because we are children who have come of age and can already experience the honor and the freedom and the responsibility of being God's children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts so that we might act like sons and daughters. And how do mature children of the Heavenly Father act? How do mature Christians live in this world? Our text says, they cry out to God, Abba, Father, in whatever language they speak, like Little children who ask their dads to help them in everything. You see, whereas maturity is often associated with independence, the Holy Spirit shows us that spiritual maturity and the coming of age in the church is marked by the confession of our own weakness and dependence on God alone. Poor in spirit, Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Meek. And we stare at the incarnation of the Son of God. God sending His own Son into this world. The Christmas Gospel. And we say, look at what God needed to do to keep us in fellowship with Him. He had to do everything. Fewer free and mature Christians, children in the household of God, they don't say, I know, I know, I can do this. But they bow down and worship. Every worship service beginning, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And they pray together. And they support one another through the tough times. Mature children of God, 
They recognize, they see the holes in, in the consuming culture around us. They see how it's, it's greed preying on human pride. It's offering all the things that you can buy or the things that you can do to try to bring peace to your restless seeking souls. And freed children of God know that's all a great deception. When they seek peace, the heirs of God's kingdom don't say, if I just buy myself some more clothes, if I just get a better phone or a nicer car, or if just more active in the church, if I just did more things, that will bring peace to my heart. Rather than turn back again to slavery, this is Galatians 4 verse 9, rather than turning back again to slavery to the weak and worthless Elementary principles of the world, the mature sons say, Abba, Father, I can't do this on my own. I need your Son. I need your Spirit to guide me in your paths and teach me your laws that I may live in fellowship with you all the days of my life. Psalm 25. The way to freedom is through calling out. Abba, Father, over and again in our lives as we're coming to Christ out of the the difficulties of each day. We see that process of growth and maturation as we renounce these self-made solutions and simply embrace God's grace. In this way, the grace that God has shown to us begins to be reflected within us. We grow up and understand what it means to be sons and daughters, to be children of a heavenly Father. And we're overwhelmed as we look at this text by how it describes the overwhelming outpouring of the love of the triune God for us, manifest in the close connection between all His mighty acts. We see the connection between Christmas and and Good Friday and Easter and Ascension Day and and Pentecost. God pouring out His love for us. We respond like we read David did this morning. Who Who are we to receive such amazing love? God's purpose in redemption has always been to bring His people into the full realization of their personal relationship with Him as sons and daughters and full possession of their promised inheritance. Our faith is not purely an intellectual thing. It's not just about making sure we call ourselves sons rather than slaves, but it's a transformation that affects our our minds and our hearts and our, our hands. We actually think and love and act like the adopted children that God has made us to be in Jesus Christ. The birth of the Son of God, celebrated at Christmas, teaches us and reminds us what it means to be a child of God. We constantly confess our dependence on God's grace, our thankfulness for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ, and our eager desire to live as mature sons like our Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, living in the adoption that we have received as an undeserved gift. And Christ 
self-sacrificial love for his brothers and sisters and the family of God for, for us, the outpouring of the love of the triune God. It serves as an example of how we can also love and support one another. At this time of year, when the church commemorates Christmas, it's an excellent time to focus on the connection between the, the incarnation, God coming down to earth for us in your place, in the household and family of God, surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ, that family that's more fundamental than your relatives. The Holy Spirit equips us to imitate the maturity of the heir of all things who entered into the world to give his life for others. As he teaches us in Philippians 2, verses 1 and 1 to 5, to imitate Christ by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. And Philippians 2 continues, he urges us to have the same mindset in Jesus, as Jesus Christ, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interest of others. The Son of God, the Son of God, was born of woman, born under the law, so that we might live as sons and daughters in a relationship of peace with our Heavenly Father and with one another. Christmas is a time to commemorate that dramatic change in the way that God deals with us and dwells among His people and how we deal with one another. May Christmas celebrations this year also stir us up in the confession of our utter dependence on God's grace as we confess the sins of human pride and self selfishness and as we pray that the Spirit continues to lead us in a life of self-denial and submission and worship and thanksgiving as the new covenant family of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.